You're listening to the Your Queer Story podcast, the podcast that inspires peace, love, and radicalism, led by your favorite hosts, Evan Jones and Paul Hobbs. Trigger warning. Our content covers centuries of LGBTQ plus stories, and occasionally we may use outdated language or cover topics that include violence, assault, homophobia, transphobia, as well as other injustices against marginalized communities. Make sure you subscribe and review wherever you are listening, and be sure to follow us on all social media at Your Queer Story. And if you want exclusive content, join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash yourqueerstory. You're here, now let's get queer. You look like you just woke up from a nap, which uh, is actual reality. That is true. I woke up from a nap because I got up at 3.30, and then I worked until about 8.30 or 9, and then I took a nap, tried to take a nap, um, and just listened to people screaming and running up and down the stairs for no freaking reason. I didn't hear any of that when I was here. Yeah, because by the time you got here, the kids were on their tablets. That's the thing. You try it. We hold out on the tablet because there's only so much tablet time you can give the kids. So you got to... You gotta, place it at the right time i was holding out for you for when you came here (laughs) anyways um so yeah welcome back to your quick story (laughs) (laughs) we're both a little tired my my uh anxiety medicine is giving me a little insomnia right now so i haven't slept in a few days evan hasn't slept in a few days for other reasons but uh, reasons also i've been on the hotline for work so um like once a month i have to cover the hotline at night and oh. yeah, for the most part, it's okay. But I, it, I don't know what it is. It's about th- it's at three a.m. every fucking three a.m. Someone so will call. Hour. Yeah, and they'll have something. And like this morning, it was it was just incoherent. Like I don't even know a person called, and then they hung up, and then they called, and they hung up, and they called, <gasps> oh, and they hung up, and I never God. got like to actually talk to someone. But then I was awake. So I'm, I'm like, I would have been pissed. <laughs> I would have been like, if you're gonna call me at three a.m., at least speak. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so yeah. So that's basically how it goes. I mean, otherwise, it's an easy gig, but it does. It's hard to sleep because I get woken up, and then there's also that anxiety too. If I don't want to sleep through someone's call, right? What it. if I miss it? Am I gonna get yeah. trouble? Are they gonna like get, uh, you know, not get what they need? Because exactly. I didn't yeah. Hear it? Be like, helped. Yeah. So that's tough. Yeah. But yeah. So, anyways. So welcome back. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get it. We'll get it. Once the improv starts, you you all know we'll be on on point. Don't That's worry. Right. Yeah. This is rough. Holy shit. What's wrong with this? Also, this is the first time that we are recording. Yeah, I in the think basement. it might also partly be the vibe. We're like, you know, yeah. not in our spot. So. Yeah, we're in our new spot because I've lost my office to the children. So if so. things sound a little funny give us a few episodes i might need to adjust some stuff but. yeah we gotta we gotta find our balance again down here um i thought it might be more soundproof but i don't know it's a i bigger definitely room. think especially if the kids stay upstairs like yeah. i think we'll have a lot less noise in the background and yeah the dogs not seeing me will also help i think that's true the planes will be a little higher <laughs> who knows but i'll tell you what if the kids are running around just forget it because it's not quieter down here. Not at all. I thought maybe it would be, but it's not. Thankfully, uh, one of ours is at karate right now, the one that really likes to jump around. So mm-hmm. That's true. 
Get it? Get him out of the house. But anyways, but yeah. But we're here. We're still queer. We're trying to do it. <laughs> Doing the I best think, <laughs> I promise I'll be good. I promise. Between trying to survive I'm going to have to edit out like five minutes of us just like not talking about <laughs> anything. Let's be like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. It's fine, Paul. We're fine. Okay? Um... Been busy. <laughs> yes, I've been super busy. Um, I've been doing a few different projects at work, so that's taking up a lot more. Like, I don't know, certain projects you you probably you know yeah. one certain projects you can like do and just kind of mm-hmm. like fade out in your mind and still do the work, and then certain projects like you have to pay attention. Like, like there's no zoning out. Like you have to look at everything you're doing, and that's kind of the work I'm doing right now. Yeah. And it's just like. After eight hours of looking at Excel when it's literally just white boxes with black text, like <laughs> focusing entirely for eight hours, I'm pretty fucking worn out. Yeah. I don't know how you do that. You had me once fill in for like descriptions for the podcast and I couldn't even get through them. Yeah. Imagine doing that for eight hours a I day, don't know how, every no. single day. No, I don't know. I don't know how I'm doing everything I'm doing, honestly. You're like, doing a lot of extra stuff. You're doing like 13 projects on top of working full-time and the podcast. I don't and know, two kids. Well, that's the thing. It's not even so much 13 extra projects, but I do have a nonprofit I'm starting with a group of people that takes a lot of work, which I'm really excited and passionate about it, but it takes a lot of work. We have the podcast that we're trying to stay up on, which is... We're here, okay, folks? <laughs> and then we have the two kids on top of that, which thankfully, and I love them to death, but they start school on Monday, which is just going to be them distance learning at the Boys and Girls Club, but they're going So they're someplace. doing the girl, Boys and Girls Club for they, every distance learning day? or They are for, for now, and then the governor said that everybody has to return to in-person classes uh, in, I think, October 14th. So, Oh, really? Yeah, that's what she said. So That's surprising. Uh, I don't know. Come on. Well, I mean, our rates are so low here. Maybe yeah. she's thinking it's okay. I don't know. Gina? I don't know. You're, scared, well, you're scaring here's the thing. me. Here's the but thing. you've been doing a good job, so I kind of trust you, but I'm still a little nervous. I think everybody, everybody is nervous and everybody's upset, but I'm also like, as a parent, because we both work full-time, the options are you can send your kid to a crowded daycare, where there's just many kids, you can and probably not as many regulations and stuff. As exactly right, right. You can pay out the ass for someone to come and um, and distance learn with your children if you can find a private tutor, which is a great idea if you've got all that disposable income. Like forty dollars an hour, right? And also a point that people have made is like it really is going to separate this like. The, like, what about all the families that can't afford that? Like, right. Samantha and I could probably eat by... Is one of the people going to have to, like, quit school, uh, quit their job and right. distance learn? And then what's going to happen? And further divide I... the wealth gap? Like, right. what is it? You know? And so then your other option is you send your kid to school and you hope for the best. Or, like you said, what if you quit your job and you don't? Like, it's just not for the average American family and for definitely anyone who's below the poverty line. You're just screwed. It's yeah. just... It's definitely you know. like a... Like the rich are gonna be fine. It oh, doesn't yeah. even matter. Yeah, well look at fucking Jeff Bezos. Just right. like making money left and right. Uh yeah. anyways, so um yeah, so so they're gonna go to the boys and girls club is to have some good programs in place. They limited the people they took in. I mean it's the best you got for right now mm-hmm. and but my whole point with that was that it'll also have be good for time. them to be around other kids, even though they probably I don't know how they're gonna, you know, say they can't interact or I don't know what their yeah. rules are, but even just being in the environment with other children will be good for them. Just socializing. Yeah. Yeah. And that, in that respect, it'll be good for them. Who knows? I mean, there's a good chance it all gets shut down after the first week too. Yeah. 
So Very big possibility. <laughs> knows? I don't know. I just know that for probably a couple of days, I'll have a house where the roof isn't shaking. And the, by the roof, I mean the top of my basement isn't shaking every time someone runs by. That'll be nice. Yeah. That's all I got. There you go. <laughs> that's what you're looking forward that's to. What I'm thinking, <laughs> that's what I'm holding on to. <laughs> uh so how was your Labor Day? Anything exciting? Oh, yeah, it was good. We uh, we went camping with uh, Samantha's parents. Yeah, and uh, you fucking disappeared. Yeah, my God. I'm literally, Evan and I talk at least three times a day on Facebook, even <laughs> if it's just me sending him an article and him mm. being like, okay, like there's at least some form of communication. Yeah. Two days go by. Mm-hmm. I have not heard anything, and I am messaging him. I'm calling the police. I'm like sending the <laughs> thumb emoji, like just messaging, messaging. I'm like, okay, I'm really about to call the police. And if Samantha didn't respond to me, I I would have called the police. I don't know. I would have driven over here. I would have (laughs) came into your house. I would have searched your house, filed a missing persons report. I'd have been like, I don't know where they're at. I have not heard from him. This is not like them. I talk to him every day. He's just disappeared. (laughs) The car is gone. Everybody's gone. I don't know what happened. So let me explain. First of all, Samantha assured me that there was going to be reception at this place. Okay, she's like, I've been going to this campground since I was nine years old, and there's definitely, I don't know why I'm giving her this voice, but that's like the worst voice, and it's definitely got reception because that's how I feel about her white girl basic attitude to this reception debacle. (laughs) Then, as we're getting closer to the the ground, I'm trying not to panic because I noticed that I'm losing reception, which I was, I I wouldn't have minded if like I was like. We're not going to have reception, so I'm like, I can let people know right. and just put it out of my mind. But I'm, we're getting there, and we're like, honey, I'm, I don't have reception. She's like, I have a bar. I have one bar. I'm fine. I was like, well, I, I don't have reception, and I don't know what's going on. <laughs> so the whole time I was there, Samantha got reception in and out. Every time I got reception, I would have it for like 60 seconds, try to they send have something. have some sort of like camp Wi-Fi or anything? They had camp Wi-Fi at one uh, place in the camp oh, that so you, you could go, go to. You had to go like... there. It was the bingo hall, which also had never played bingo, by the way. You hadn't? No, because my family thought it was a catholic game oh, is, it's <laughs> and so i wasn't allowed to play it <laughs> imagine being deprived of not that bingo is a great game but it's literally like the most innocent like i'm sitting there i have no idea they're they're like b46 and i'm looking i'm like how where's the b at it took me it literally took me probably like a whole round to realize that the b i n g o that's why it's called bingo yeah that it took me the whole round to be like where's this i coming from where's this what are you talking about (laughs) you're just sitting there randomly dabbing things you're like i think i got a bingo exactly meanwhile my kids are just like they're fine they're great um so Samantha did win two hundred dollars though, oh, so wow. that was That's that was pretty nice. Good. Yeah. Um, so, anyways, that was the only place, and I was I only went to the bingo hall that one time, and then I was playing bingo, and I was trying to send a few messages in between there, but yeah. So, so no, we didn't die. We were just at this. You almost room. had a full like police investigation, anyways. I know. Just have you know? I know. You know what? It's okay because let me tell you this: we were we were not in Rhode Island, and the amount of Trump presence if if there is a civil war this campsite is gonna be (laughs) where all the the trumpites are (laughs) just i just know it (laughs) i you know what though speaking of civil war i i think trump's gonna win again i don't want to put that energy in the air i don't want him to win again obviously but uh, come on you gave us joe nobody wants joe i actually was talking how we need like 
four Demo- or four uh, parties instead of just two. Oh yeah, because the Democrats today are moderates. There's there's mm-hmm. no they call them the liberal left, but it's literally like, hey, we just want social or we want everybody to be able to live and have health care like every other developed country. Yeah, that's literally like how liberal the Democrats are. <laughs> Yeah. We need we need more. Oh yeah, we do. Uh, no, I know. I I have no idea. I worry whatever yeah. happens because four more years of Trump is a fucking disaster, and um, also if he doesn't like, I I just see it going bad either way. But you know what? It's taking a day at a time. <laughs> it, it would be like twenty twenty to give us as that last shit That's gift what I'm as saying. it was going out. It's, it's like twenty twenty. Like oh, did you think you were gonna go out on a high note? <laughs> <laughs> no. November, Trump wins. December, the Civil War starts. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Would not be surprised. We laugh about it now, but yeah, I don't know. We're you, predicting it here. When you see things in, in Portland and you see in Minneapolis and it's Minnesota, crazy. like it's that's I mean, and I, I, I applaud the people that are fighting, but like you can't tell me that's not a battleground. You're going to tell me that's not a battle. Right. That's a battle. And um, I'm just going to throw this out there. We've been predicting the Handmaid's Tale. That's right. <laughs> And I really am actually scared with how, like, that uh, 17-year-old went on, like, a he, like, killed two people at the thing and everybody's praising him. I'm like, if Biden wins, I actually could see some sort of... Oh, yeah. It might not be a full-fledged civil war. It could be. But I definitely think there's going to be... Something. Something. Oh, I know. I agree. I think everybody knows that. I think we've all reached to the point, like, we don't talk about it much, but, like, everybody knows whatever happens in the election, it's going to be a shit show. And how much that shit show progresses, we don't know. Because when you look at, you know, if Biden wins, I, I don't know, because... It, Look at what the look at what the right has. They have the police on their side. They've got they have the military out of obligation, but they do mm-hmm. have the military on their side, the National Guard. So, um, you know, yeah. So this yeah, enjoy your last few months of your queer story. <laughs> <laughs> um, David it was actually talking and he's like, If there's a civil war we have to help, blah blah blah. I was like, No, if there's a civil war we're moving to Canada and we're getting the fuck out because it's gonna turn into the fucking handmaid's tale and I'm not gonna end up like those motherfuckers. <laughs> Paul's like, Look, we're the first ones to go, okay? <laughs> we I'm like, We're going. Like that day, as soon as I, I hear one gunshot, we're out. <laughs> uh-uh. Oh yeah. I know what's to come and I'm not gonna be nope. I know, it's tough for me because I will invite I will fight. I will fight virtually with yeah. intelligence from afar. I will not be on the ground fighting. See, I very much want to be in the middle of it, but there's also that obligation, especially now. You know, there's you have two like kids. I have two kids and I have a wife, and that's a very big difference than when you, you know, if I was single, I probably would have been in Portland. Yeah, you know, you why wouldn't you? Have yeah, been? I like, would have been too yeah. because I'm working remotely right now. I would have done my job and then been at the protest. Exactly, but. Being, you know, having a family that you have to take care of, it's it's hard. But then don't, don't people leave their families behind to go fight? Someone's got to fight the wars. Not me. I'll, I'll fight, fight virtually <laughs> with intelligence. I can't. I'm not. I'm too much of a chicken to fight anybody like on the ground. <laughs> yeah. Uh, me and Katie will be there. Katie's just going to be like, 
switchblades flying. Yeah, literally. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, we should get, speaking of wars and revolution, we're going to be talking about the Mexican Revolution Imagine today. Imagine this is somebody's first episode. They're like, who are these <laughs> like, two? What is this, fucking, what is not, this episode? What is this podcast? They're talking. And they're not, they don't even sound excited. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so, well, I'm sorry. We're not excited. We're not excited about our impending doom. So, <clears throat> yes, but you know what? It's appropriate for the topic, so that's fine. There you go. Got to build into it. That was called improv. <laughs> Not really. That was called, what is it when you build up to something? Building up. Building up. <laughs> that was called building up to your point. What? We should never be allowed to educate on how. They're going to ask us one day, teach us how to build, how to build a podcast, and it's going to sound awful. Well, to build a podcast, you... Uh, you just start talking. You just get together with your best friend, you get what, a couple microphones. But you know what? So many people actually comment that one of their favorite parts of the podcast is just how natural, like, you know. Our conversation. Our conversation. Are. I mean, yeah. yeah, that's what happens. Yeah. That's works. why you don't do it with a stranger. Yeah. That would be awkward. I've heard podcasts like that where people are like, hey, you're famous. I'm famous. Let's do a podcast. Oh, my and God. And they just are like, awful. there's no chemistry and exactly. they don't get each other's jokes or. Yeah. Yeah. No, I got it. Anyways, but we should move on. Uh, make sure that you like, subscribe, download, share, and review. Yeah, we've actually been getting some really nice reviews, so thanks to yeah. everybody who's doing that. Um, regardless of what phone you have, well, actually, I don't know. I don't know if you can have a Android and leave an iTunes review. I don't no know how that idea. works. I, but leave us a review wherever you can. If you can't leave us a review, just tweet us. We love to retweet people who love mm-hmm. the podcast. So Yeah, yeah, thank you. So do you want to start? You want me to start? You go ahead. Thank you. (laughs) For the next few weeks, we will be celebrating Latinx History Month. September is chosen to remember Latinx history because of the significance around the Mexican War of Independence. This defining 11-year war both began and ended in the month of September. And it was through this struggle that Mexico gained independence from the colonization of Spain. For over 300 years, Spanish military and priests had worked to eliminate the rich history of what is now known as Central and South America. The glory of the Aztec and Mayan empires of Mexico were erased along with the Incan kingdom of modern-day Peru. But these grand atrocities were only the beginning as countless smaller civilizations and tribes were killed off or enslaved during centuries of Spanish rule. Central and Southern America just got shit on by everybody. Didn't they? Like they did. really bad. Because and then, it was just, and then yeah. everybody's like, I don't know why there's so much unrest there. It's like, <laughs> I uh, because, I mean, obviously Africa got it probably the worst. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's like when you're constantly waging wars, you're constantly overthrowing rulers, you're constantly colonizing, mm-hmm. you're constantly erasing the people, and then you're like, oh my God, why why is there not like a really strong government presence there? Yeah. Uh, because you've overthrown it like 13 times? Well, like, yeah, you had Spain and Portugal fighting over in Central and South America. The Pope steps in and decides you, what you can do. England's also trying to get in there. France and Germany, well, not so much Germany, but France and Italy are kind of be like, hey, we want a piece of this too. Yeah. Like everybody's just fighting over it. I mean, America was was like that as too but like you're right especially in those areas well, yeah and then even after the united states was formed like reagan and not like is, oh yeah i don't know if anything's happened since reagan i'm sure there has but like reagan was like waging mm-hmm. wars and like overthrowing people and it's just like all the presidents that's a way like we're yeah. going to talk about like the turn of the century of the 20th century so like 1900 
And um, we're going to talk like even then the presidents are like sending people in, sending in the the Texas Rangers or the Arizona Rangers and Mm -hmm. and like not your fucking business. You know, America's always got to be like, hey, guys, we're here to help. And we're the police of the world. (laughs) We're just making sure everything's working right so that we can take all of your resources and money. And but it's just to make sure you're okay. And we just want to make sure you have democracy so you can get people in power who have no interest in supporting you just like us. This is all for you guys. We want this for you. (laughs) (laughs) Today marks the 210th anniversary of Grito de Dolores, the cry of Dolores. It was September 16th, 1810. That Miguel Hidalgo that Miguel Hidalgo y Costillo rang the church bell to signal a call to arms launching the Hidalgo Revolt and, in essence, the Mexican Revolution. More than two centuries later, this moment is still celebrated each year on the eve of September 16th. The Mexican president wears full traditional garbs and yells, Viva Mexico, after ringing the exact same bell that Hidalgo rang 210 years earlier. Through their freedom, the country has worked to reunite to return to the traditions and roots stolen from them by Spanish conquerors, yet has not been an easy transition. One of the most glaring examples of the inner turmoil came 100 years after the Hidalgo Revolt in the form of the Mexican Revolution. As the government faced off with an oppressed people, one fighter found freedom of expression in the Zapatistas, more formally referred to as the Liberation Army of the South. So so you have the Mexican War of Independence, which I actually flipped it around here. The Mexican War of Independence, which started on September 16th, 1810. And then later, 100 years later, you had the Mexican Revolution. So the Mexican War of Independence is independence from Spain. The revolution is within Mexico. And it's kind of like a, it's a civil war in mm-hmm. Mexico. And so that's that's where we're where we're going with. So 21 years before the official outbreak of the Mexican Revolution, a child was born to wealthy parents, Casimiro Robles and Josefa Avila. Though he was assigned female at birth, Emilio bucked the feminine traditions thrust upon him. He became an expert marksman and horse trainer, preferring the roles typically reserved for men. And while his parents initially enrolled him in an all-girls school, after the fourth grade, they withdrew Emilio. We do not know the full reason, but it is possible his gender identity and expression played a part in their decision. The young child's defiance and his assigned sex is even more striking when contrasted against the intensely conservative and gendered society of Mexico. But even with the liberties his family's wealth and status granted him, it is doubtful if Emilio would have become the man a nation knew and revered had it not been for the Mexican Revolution. So again, always remembering that like, it's hard with Emilio's life because... Um, which isn't a bad thing, but you know, he worked very hard to like cover up his past. So we don't have a lot about his childhood. We just know that he, and again, always remembering that just because you have a, a masculine gender expression does not mean that's your gender identity, but he did exhibit a masculine gender expression and a desire for, you know, expressing his true gender identity in a masculine way. Right. And I can imagine if you're an assigned in an all girls school, like at that time, you're just, they're probably like, something's wrong with your kid like i'm oh, sure yeah. there's always a problem so at that point they were probably like yeah I mean, they could have the school could have kicked him out because he wouldn't conform the parents could have noticed and withdrew he did seem to have a pretty um accepting family mm-hmm. so they could have withdrawn him because it wasn't working out he also he had the wealth and the ability to go anywhere he wanted to so that also played right. into it as with any revolution the flames of resistance were fanned for decades before the war finally broke out 
When General Porfirio Diaz took control of the presidency in 1876, he set the wheels of an uprising in motion. Diaz spread the reach of his power by replacing political leaders with his own pawns. He used the rurales, a mounted police force similar to the American Rangers, to intimidate opponents and put down rebellions. That sounds kind of... Oh, this whole episode sounds like, hey. This feels very familiar. (laughs) In addition, Diaz brought in foreign capitalists and drove the Mexican peasant class further into poverty and submission. His final seal of power came when he amended the Mexican constitution to allow for unlimited terms in the presidency and held onto his title despite accusations of voter suppression and rigged elections. (laughs) You're like, am I reading the future? I'm like, what am I reading right now? Which is crazy because uh, Putin actually just did that in Russia. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he made it so he could be like unlimited president because he was supposed to resign this year or be voted out or whatever. Yep, step and number I'm like, one. Hmm, I wonder why Trump likes him so much. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Between. Yep. Between 1876 and 1911, Porfirio Diaz served as president with the exception of four years between 1880 and 1884, when his close friend and supporter Manuel Gonzalez briefly stepped into the role. This 35-year period is known as the Porfiriato in Mexican history. Yeah, so if you want to be a dictator, this is like, this is here you go. Just someone send this to Donald Trump. This is what he's trying to do. And basically, that's what happened. So, like, Diaz steps down for four years to, like, help get in place for him to have continued control of the people. So, like, when Mike Pence is president after Trump? Exactly. When Trump's like, here, Mike. The only saving thing is that Trump is so old. Um, Porfirio took over. I think he was, like, 40 when he took over. Oh, so he was like, I can do this. He's like, I can do this forever. If Mm -hmm. Trump tried it, he'll die soon. But would Pence try it? Yeah, probably. So, um, yeah, it's just a terrifying thing. And and it's happened a lot in in different histories across, you know, across Mm -hmm. nations throughout the centuries. Diaz promoted order and progress, much the same way Donald Trump uses the words law and order. So, you know, law, he loves to say that oh on Twitter. To say that was Diaz's thing was order and progress. Can the show Law and Order like sue him and be like, stop using our name? <laughs> exactly. That would be hilarious. Right? <laughs> like what? Is, yeah, I wish they would. I wish. Um, what's her name? Oh, God. I can't think of her name. Why can't I think? What's wrong with us? You we, know. Listen. <laughs> This is the special episode of Your Queer Story where we are both just fucked up from lack of sleep. And We're just running on fumes. We are running on Maria, fumes and caffeine. Maria, no. She listens to this podcast and she's real pissed right now. She's like, are you fucking kidding me? I was a fan of Your Queer Story, but wow, you don't even know you my fucking remember? name. After 21 years on Law & Order SVU, you don't even know my goddamn name. We're sorry. Um, anyways. <laughs> okay. So he used it just the way that Donald Trump uses law and order to justify his outrageous abuse of power. Throughout Diaz's reign, many wealthy Europeans and Americans bought up land in Mexico and established industries, manufacturing plants, and large estates in the developing country. And Those, outsourced all the jobs there. Yep, exactly. Those in working and middle class were forced out of their homes as the land was bought up by outsiders. To add insult to injury, many laborers were forced to take positions working on the estates and in the factories of the foreign capitalists. Naturally, the low wages and abusive working conditions that are the hallmark of capitalism were brought down upon the peasant class. As the 19th century began to close and a new era dawned, laborers around the globe began to rumble in resistance. You know what's so crazy to me? The people who still think that like America's so great, right? They're like, United States is number one. I'm like, you guys literally took history in third grade and never looked at anything ever again. Exactly. Because it's not working. And 
it was a good idea when it was founded, mm-hmm. I think. I mean, no, it wasn't because it was founded by slave owners who were just trying to stay wealthy, but yeah. It, it's but they not, were breaking away from yeah, they were breaking away they were from tyrants. Something different. Yeah, they were breaking away from a class society that had told them like you this is your class and it doesn't matter what you do in life, you have to remain in your class. Mm-hmm. So the idea of a democracy where every person can be equal is great. Except for when you build that identity. Yeah. Well you you can't say that everybody's equal and literally keep slavery in the constitution and be like mm-hmm. everybody's equal but not this guy. Right. I mean well, obviously not this guy. And we're not gonna give the women the right to vote. Like you had a chance to actually make it equal and instead you did exactly what the yep. people you had left did to you. Mm-hmm. So yes, the idea was great, but it's it needs to be updated. <laughs> it, it was just it's not gonna work and I think some shit's gonna go down. It's been too long since the world has had like a really big revolution of like. Well, since America has, I mean, yeah, we had the Civil War, but honestly, that was over 150 years ago. It's time, yeah, we're due. To be honest, it's how history goes. Fucking sucks for us. <laughs> uh, I'm out. I told right. you I'm out. <laughs> right. Couldn't have been born like 40 years earlier. I mean, it was still shitty, but at least we wouldn't have had to deal with the war. Now we gotta be part of that. So. <laughs> Anyways, by 1905, the president's power was in sharp decline as opposition opposition mounted. Partido Liberal de Mexico, PLM, translated as the Mexican Liberal Party, was formed and immediately led an all-out call for labor labor reform. Anti-Diaz newspapers were printed and distributed. A program of reform was drawn up and unions began to form. The following year, the Canania... Canania. Canania yeah. strike took place. Canania was a town of miners and their families who worked at the Canania Copper Company. You can have to say it. Canania had been founded and was owned by an American businessman. Of the twenty-three thousand residents, only two thousand two hundred were American. Yet the Americans held all positions of power within the company, and base staff were paid one and a half pesos more per day than their Mexican counterparts. In addition, the Mexican citizens were forced to work and live in horrible conditions, and their only source for food and supplies was the town general store that charged high prices. Sounds a lot like mm-hmm. capitalism. Yeah, it's exactly what The only difference is that it's in a different country, so you can abuse them even more. Exactly, yeah, right? Like, imagine the audacity of, like, you go to a country, you establish a copper company in that country, and then you pay the citizens of that country, you know, one and a half pesos less than you do the Americans that you brought in. Right. You know, like, they're good enough to mine your mines for you, but they didn't have any responsibilities. They weren't even allowed to work, like, the equipment, the expensive equipment, because they weren't trusted enough to do it. You're not smart enough, right? That that bias Mm -hmm. and racism. So, um, so yeah, all of that. So, you've got 22,000 people in this, or 21,000 Mexicans living in this town. And then, again, on top of that, the only place they can get their food and supplies is at the general store that's run by the copper company that charges them outrageous right. prices. Instead of giving them some kind of discount or they whatever. They like doubled the price, or not, maybe not doubled, I don't know. But, but, yeah, but yeah. They, yeah, it's like we're going to, you know, you work for us and we pay you shit wages and also we're going to take your money back because you have to buy your food and supplies from us. Just like... Bullshit. <laughs> but yeah, no, capitalism is great. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Fan-fucking-tastic. Anybody yeah, can work their way like out. Street- Religious white guy, it's great. Yeah, yeah. You have nothing to worry about. Absolutely. So, oh, and there was one other thing about this that I, oh yeah, I didn't put it in here, but it doesn't matter. But um, also like the anti-Diaz newspapers had to be printed out of the country. So like in America, there were some, like a lot around San Francisco and a couple in Texas because Diaz had 
finally got control of the media oh, and wow. only allowed what he wanted so to be printed. So there was printed. no more fake news? There was no more fake news. Wow. Thank Brilliant. God, right? Works for you. <laughs> on June 1st, 1906, the majority of Mexican miners went on strike. They demanded the right to promotions and higher responsibility in their jobs, required equal pay to the Americans, and requested a 75% Mexican quota in the company, ensuring they would not be replaced with white men, which was really what they wanted to do, right? They wanted mm -hmm. to bring the white guys down, replace most of the Mexicans, except for what would be cost effective. Right. And, you know, and then just keep the, ba it. the worst labor jobs for the Mexicans. Exactly. Anything else, yeah, we'll put you in the guy. real dangerous parts of the mines, but mm -hmm. we'll have more white guys up top. Right. Their demands were rejected by company leaders, which resulted in a riot and eventually a massacre. Over the next three days, more than 3,000 Mexicans marched through the streets of Canilla, Canania, <laughs> and it wasn't until a hose was turned on them that three people were killed and the march became violent. So um, one of the, uh, I think it was like the general store owner. Oh, and then they're, then they're like, oh, these Mexicans are having a, a violent protest. Exactly. Huh, it's a peaceful march. Real familiar. It's the same Again. fucking thing. Yeah, it's a peaceful march. And the general store owner gets upset about it. So he turns on a fire hose and hurts some people or kills three people. And then that's when they riot. And then it's like, you know, those people, you know how they are. They're Rioting just all and so looting. Violent. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> By June 3rd, so three days later, the Arizona Rangers had crossed the border to put down the uprising, which had which they had no jurisdiction over. So again, we're in Mexico. Sounds like some typical white guys. And Arizona's I gotta, like, I gotta keep my safety in check. They're like, all right, guys, well, come on, fellas, we're gonna go They're down there. They're putting me in danger. <laughs> I'm in danger all the way out in Arizona. Like, I gotta go 300 miles away. It's like, well, you gotta I be gotta careful. go down to Mexico and make sure we got some law and order. <laughs> exactly, law and order. You can't do it without a cowboy, and it ain't worth doing. All right. Um... <laughs> Diaz, okay, so the Arizona Rangers had no jurisdiction. The, and also the government, to his credit, the governor of Arizona was like, do not go down to Mexico. And they're like, sorry, governor, we just feel like <laughs> this is what we need to do. Law and order. <laughs> so Diaz Rurales, Diaz's Rurales, you said it perfectly before and I can't say it now. Rurales? Rurales. Rurales were deployed as well. And so these were like the, again, the uh, the Mexican version of the Rangers. Mm -hmm. um, and well, they were deployed as well. And when all was said and over, an estimated 23 people were killed and 22 were injured. At least 39 of the suspected 45 victims were Mexican resistors. The leaders of the riot were arrested and sentenced to 15 years in prison. Thankfully, their sentence would end five years later when the revolution began. And how many uh, Americans were like, wow, the Mexicans killed our good old Arizona oh, yeah. residents who went down there just to be sa to help protect and blah, blah, yeah, blah. Protect and serve. No, that yeah. And so American uh, newspapers reported, just reported that, you know, Mexican rioters had killed three Americans and, you know. Who went down there to shoot them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> kind of missed that whole part just, of the thing. They, they, like, well, one, I guess one guy that was, they're like, you know, they killed two innocent men. They were just trying to guard the mine and just, just bullshit, you know, just same bullshit mm -hmm. as they always do. Yep. The Canania strike turned a glowing flame into a national fire as more strikes and labor uprisings erupted across the country. Things further escalated when Diaz, once again, rigged his election. <laughs> like uh, when Trump said to <laughs> whoever in North Carolina to vote twice. That yeah. Commit yeah. a felony. Yep. This was the seventh election Diaz had co corrupted during his 35 years as president, but this time he had far overestimated the strength of his power. For more than a decade, Diaz has been 
promising to step down as president and allow for true democracy in Mexico. Yet, when Porfirio had legitimate opponent Francisco Madero jailed right before the 1910 election and then claimed he had won in a landslide, even those most resistant to war had reached their limit. Yeah, so just pausing. So, yeah, so Porfirio spins from like... 1900 to 1910 telling the people all right i've had enough i'm gonna step down he even gets a vice president he claims that he's training the vice president but he doesn't he gives the vice president no power no anything he keeps saying he's gonna create a successor so a lot of people who didn't want to go were like didn't want to go to war were like you know what just like they were tired but they're like he's gonna step down he's gonna step down it's kind of like just be patient exactly right exactly what we hear today just be patient they're Mm -hmm. they're gonna fix it just come on just give them time and so for a decade they're like just give him time just give him time and he just kept not doing it so then francisco madero comes along and he actually does a great campaign and he is like i mean the numbers are showing he's gonna Mm -hmm. kick um, Diaz's ass. Everybody wants him out. So then, days before the election, he just has Madero gelled, and then he's like, "One on the landslide. Who, who knew? <laughs> Look at me. How did that happen? Wow, I'm so popular. I guess the people still love me. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, so when Madero escaped from prison, he sent out a call to action, sparking sparking armed resistance. Throughout the end of 1910, small rebellions broke out, and by 1911, a disjointed, disorganized, yet national war erupted. Emilio Robles joined the resistance just as the revolution, revolution began. So, so also around this time, so again, when we say the labor union and movements, this is happening across the globe. This is happening in yep. America. It's happening in Europe. There's a lot of, of labor unions. Um, there's a lot of resistance happening and, and breaking out. This is... Um, about nine years before the Bolshevik Revolution in Russia. Mm-hmm. Um, 1919 was also a huge year for unions in um, in uh, in America and also a very violent and bloody year. So this is, this is worldwide. Um, and this is also why I think it got a lot of momentum too because there was a lot of people that were backing this. Yep. And it's funny how every time you see like a big... Um, like a revolution in technology or whatever, like this happens, right? Yeah. They find a way to abuse the new technology or new machines or whatever, abuse the workers, take all the money, then there's a revolution. Yep. Then you see it again, like now you see the internet, right? All these Mm -hmm. companies are making so much more money. They found out all this marketing stuff, how to get all the money. And now you slowly start to see, here we go. Okay, there's a fuck up issue with the power and with the wealth. Yeah. Then you're going to rebalance it. And then the next thing is going to come. And it's just like... Yep. When you can find a way to exploit people using the new devices and technology, there's always going to be, that's just how it's going to go. Yeah, it just keeps happening. It's really sad because last week I had wanted to do an episode on on, uh, queers in the labor movement, which talks a lot about that because LGBTQ people have been central to labor movements for centuries. Mm -hmm. And it was going to be a really great episode, but then we just didn't, I didn't have the time to do it. But it would have, it would have dovetailed so perfectly into this episode. So you'll just have to hang on to your panties. We'll get to to it. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, to finish, oh wait, no, this is you. Yes, this is me. So writer Gabriela Cano, Cano? Cano. Gabriela Cano touches upon the many ways the Mexican revolution influenced Robles's gender transition, and social legacy. She, Cano, writes in Women, Warriors, and National Heroes Global History, 
There are at least three meanings of the term Mexican Revolution. First, as a war and political conflict. Second, as the drafting and institutional enforcement of laws and reforms. And third, as rhetorical trope. The revolution was a symbol of nationalism, social justice, and secularization. Throughout the century, both governments and opponents invoked the Mexican Revolution as a source of their legitimacy. More importantly for our purposes, the Mexican Revolution celebrated binary gender as the epitome of national identity. The male, peasant, worker, and soldier, and the sexually available young woman and mother, each of these meanings is relevant to the story of Emilio Robles. The process of his gender transition took place during the armed struggle, and his constructed masculinity was accepted in the midst of the instability and violence of war. In late 1911, Emilio, still identifying as a woman, went on a mission to secure funding for the revolution. Earlier that year, Diaz had been forced to resign as president at the age of 81. Madero, Madero, I think it's Madero, Madero, and, and his supporters had beaten the federal army projecting change on the horizon as Diaz fled to France in exile. Yet the real struggle that would become known as the Mexican Revolution was only just beginning. On November 6, 1911, Francisco Madero, I'm trying my best, at the age of 38, was elected as president of Mexico by a 90% vote. Yet his glory was short-lived as he would be removed and then assassinated just 15 months after taking office. The outrage leveled at the man noted as sparking the revolution was brought over his supposed inaction to make the changes revolutionaries had demanded, especially his failure to immediately act on his promises around land reform. And that's, yeah, what? I was just going to say, you can't be a big revolutionary and then get in office and then not do it. Yeah, I don't understand Madero. I don't know if it was because it was too overwhelming, too much. He didn't have the experience or, I mean, he was. It could have just been everything. It could have been. All of that. He was also, he was wealthy and so it seemed that he understood, like he did spark the revolution, but maybe his wealth gave him a blind spot. To yeah, it, he like, just didn't get it. Yeah, when people are like, we need land reform now, he was like, yeah, yeah, we're going to get to land reform. Right, and yeah. in his mind, it was like third or whatever. Yeah, and really that is the the whole revolution, which is often seen in revolutions, is just a fight for power. So the Mexican revolution is just one group after another killing off another group and being like, no, no, we're in charge mm-hmm. now. We can fix things. And then five years later, we're in charge. We're going to fix things. And that's basically what it is. Madero had promised to redistribute the millions of acres held by corporate entities and haciendas. Haciendas. I practiced that before. Haciendas, which are large estates and plantations. Tax and property laws disproportionately favored these groups, and even though studies by revolutionaries such as Andres Molinas Enriquez, uh, tax and property laws disproportionately favored these groups, even though studies by revolutionaries such as Andres Molina Enriquez had noted that these groups did not produce the most crops. I left out, I started writing the sentence and I clearly oh. <laughs> left it out. I was like, um, <laughs> I'll explain. I'll explain. Molina had spent nearly a decade as a notary and had tracked the output of small rancheros versus the output of large haciendas. He found that the smaller ranches were better farmers who produced better work, but were often forced out of business by the haciendados, which were the plantation owners, and uh, and created an unbalanced system. It was leaders like Molina and Emiliano Zapata Salazar that were most vocal against Madero's inaction around land reform. It was under Zapata that... Emilio would build his legacy. So if I was very unclear, I know I was a little jumbled. Basically, yeah, it's like they did studies and they were like, you know, the, the smaller farmers produce better work. They get, they're more consistent with their work. But you have these large 
plantation owners, they buy up all this land and then you can't farm the land because you can't make enough money to keep your farm going. And then they just buy your farm out right. from under you, but they don't really put back into the community. Right. They don't, they don't. It doesn't create economic growth. We found that the smaller ranches create more economic growth and more agriculture, but it's kind of funny how like Walmart bought up all this <laughs> land and is doing everything. And it's just really not making economic growth, mm-hmm. even though it's fucking everywhere. Exactly. It doesn't help the communities at all. It's exactly, it's very much that Walmart thing of like, you don't actually help your communities. Right. You pretend that you're you do harvesting, all but this you money. don't exactly. You just, take all their money you leave them dry and then when they're broken then you're like well, and then I they guess all we're gonna have to close down have yeah exactly and what else are they gonna do Emilio's trip to secure funding for the revolution was the last known record of his old name during his lifetime by 1913 he was serving under his masculine identity as a colonel for the liberation army often informally called oh often informally called the Zapas, zapatistas It was not uncommon for a woman to adopt a masculine persona while serving during a war, but these identities were later dropped once the individual returned to civilian life. However, Emilio was 24 years old when he began to openly identify as a male, and he remained in this identity until his death 71 years later. And though occasionally he was challenged or ridiculed, for the most part, Emilio Robles was a highly respected military leader. He served under Zapata for five years during the revolution. While many other groups were corrupted or came to fight with ulterior motives, the Zapatistas were among the most devoted to the people. They rebuilt the state of Morelos in 1915 and redistributed the land before handing over the power of of city councils to local leaders. Yeah, so again, I mean, there's corruption wherever you go in the Mexican Revolution, Mm -hmm. and we're not going to... Uh, excuse any of that but if you were to look at a group that was probably most authentic and most true to their cause the Zapatistas would be among that Zapata was a very much devoted to the people and tried very much to keep them for um, mm-hmm. in the forefront so Emilio choosing to serve under Zapata showed a lot about Emilio's character um, there's also and then also uh, one thing about Emilio is that later in life his name, like mutton, like after he had died, his name was rechanged back to his original name because people wanted to honor women in the war, which wasn't fair to Emilio because there were women who did adopt masculine personas to fight, which mm-hmm. we see in America as well in the Civil War and then even in Europe during the Revolution. Um, but that was not what Emilio was. Emilio right. was not a woman trying to adopt a masculine persona. He was a, a transgender man who finally had a chance to live out his mm-hmm. life. So the peace of 1915 was short-lived as infighting among revolutionary forces continued until 1920. During this time, Zapata was killed and Emilio led a band of 315 soldiers to join forces with another leader and conquer Zapata's sworn enemy in 1920. The legacy and impact of Zapata and his troops are visible to this day and remained a source of pride to Emilio for his entire life. And even though the decades of unrest in Mexico that followed the revolution, the work and success of the Zapatistas in Morelos, Morelos, the work and success of the Zapatistas in Morelos remained. A constitution was drafted in 1917 and ratified over the ensuing years. It protected laborers and Mexican land rights and gave the power of democracy back to the people. There continued to be battles and uprisings for the next several years following the election of 1920, and Emilio served in a newly formed national military. And actually, the work of Zapata in Morelos um, was done so well that even when other counterparts tried to undo his work and take the land back from the people they couldn't like he had secured their their local 
um, laws so firmly that the the land there couldn't no be taken. Poles. There were no loopholes. They couldn't take the land away from the people. Damn, that's good. Yeah. In years following the revolution, Emilio settled down in Iguala, Mexico. He met Ange- Angela, Angela, okay, Angela Torres, and the two married. I don't know why I like, was like <laughs> Angela. Angela. <laughs> um, later, adopting a daughter together. His return to his home brought up rumors of his past, and it became common knowledge that anyone who dared call Emilio a woman or a dona would have a pistol drawn on them. When two men attacked Emilio and tried to expose his gender by stripping him naked, Emilio killed the men. Good for him. The actions were passed off as self-defense, and he was not charged. For the most part, though, Emilio was respected as a veteran of the revolution and the Zapatistas. By the time he was elderly, most of the younger generation had no idea about his sex assigned at birth. And his family respected, like he was called uncle. Mm-hmm. He was, you know, like he, his the younger generations in the family didn't even know. They had no clue that their uncle had ever been assigned. That's female. awesome. Yeah. Some historians mark the official end of the revolution in the 1940s, even though the fighting stopped in 1923. The unrest and rapidly changing leadership caused years of turmoil in the country, as is typical in the aftermath of any civil war. But by the end of the 1940s, the country was beginning to become calm again and rebuild. Emilio was awarded a medical certificate in 1948 to mark him as a veteran of the Mexican Revolution. The certificate noted six bullet wounds on his body. Yet it was 22 years before he would be officially recognized as a veterano by the Secretary of Defense. Over the, and that was important because it recognized him as a, a male veteran. Oh, okay. Over the next 14 years, Emilio received high acclaims and honors for his service during the revolution. In the final year of his life, he was unable to speak due to an illness, but a, and on December 9th, 1984, he died at the age of 95. Unfortunately, after his death, some tried to erase his trans identity and renamed him Emilia Robles. Because of this, there is some conflicting literature out there about Emilio, yet the Robles family has denounced this dishonor to the colonel's legacy. That's so awesome that the family's like... Yeah, they're backing it. Yeah, so I mean, so lots of people might um, study history, and depending on the book you read, you might read about Emilia Robles, mm-hmm. and people think they're two different people. It's really the same person, it's just some people who have tried to rewrite his identity. Mm-hmm. We do want to mention that the fact that Emilio Robles was by no means a perfect person. During the revolution, there were many atrocities committed against innocent people, though it does seem the the Zapata did his best to avoid unnecessary bloodshed and abhorred abhorred. abhorred the violent methods of other leaders. It is also true that Emilio himself was an aggressive drunk and a womanizer who later chased away his wife and child. Um, Whether he felt compelled to adopt this hyper-masculine persona to survive in society or whether it was simply who he was does not excuse his behaviors. It could also have been PTSD and war trauma. Still, he did leave behind wealthy lineage to pursue a more ethical form of government. We honor him as a queer person in history who worked to make a difference. Yeah, like I said, he's not a perfect person. We don't cover everybody that is perfect. Um, You know, it seems that towards, I don't know, like you said, you don't want to excuse someone treating people that way. You also understand why they might drink excessively. And he did seem to have a kind of a violent streak. Mm -hmm. And so I don't want to excuse all of that. But he is a person who also worked to make a big difference. Right. And it still doesn't justify, you know, dishonoring him by changing his legacy of who he was. 
So your recommended resources are Chapter 9 of the Women's Warrior and National Heroes Global Histories. This is linked for free in our script, and I really encourage you to read it. It was good, and like I said, it's available for free online. You also have the attached YouTube short docu-clip on Robles. Please note that this video is in Spanish, so it's a good resource to share to other people. But there are other YouTube clips on Robles as well. And that is Emilio Robles. So stay queer. Don't get a lobotomy. We love your little allied hookers. And a little succulent sapphist. Resist the oppressors, our proud homocrats. And have yourself a sodomy circus. Or don't, and Black Lives Matter. And happy Mexican Independence Day. Happy Mexican Independence Day. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe and review wherever you are listening and follow us on social media at Your Queer Story. Like what you heard? Want to share your story? Send us a voice message to add to the podcast from the Anchor app or at anchor.fm slash yourqueerstory. And if you would like to support the work we do or get exclusive content, check us out on patreon.com slash yourqueerstory. See you next week. Bye. Bye.